Hey, what's up? This is Johnny McBee, and you're listening to the Burn This World podcast. episode i'm going to be talking about the good and the bad reactions to end of existence by the browning the the album's been out for a little bit over a week now and so been really talking to fans i've been interacting a ton online really getting everyone's opinion on this album and first and foremost i gotta say i personally absolutely love this record I'm very, very proud of it. As a lot of you know, this was a solo effort. I wrote, mixed, mastered, did the whole record all by myself. And that's something that I've been wanting to do for a while now. And this album, I was just very confident and motivated to do that. Um, One being that I was just ready to push things to another level not only with the Browning's music, but also with myself personally. One of my thoughts with it was, like, I get a budget and I get time to be able to do something like this. Why invest that time and that budget into someone else whenever I could invest it into myself? And I really wanted to make it to where I could just do anything I wanted and take how much time this music needed to be able to be created because one thing about working with other people is then you start putting everyone's schedule in there and things can get rushed things can be not cared about and so i i really did want to just 100 percent do this myself so that i could dive into not only the songwriting but also certain production aspects that i feel you just get put into a preset the majority of time if you're working with another producer and the last thing I want the Browning to be is a copy paste version of anything else that's in the industry right now and so I'm very very proud of this record I think the songwriting is insanely unique for the current state of the um, metal scene the original album title for this was going to be metastasis I came up with that a while ago, and where I came up with that was meta, like in the gaming realm, the strategy you follow is the meta, and then stasis being stuck, because I felt the metal community and the metal scene has just been stuck in this meta for so long, and it's getting even more and more and more the same. Each band that puts out records, it's just so samey throughout all of it. So my initial concept for an album title was going to be Metastasis. But, you know, I then was just going to call a song Metastasis and the song didn't even make the record. And so it's, uh, yeah, we then came to End of Existence being what it is, you know. And uh, but nonetheless, that original name right from the forefront said what I wanted to do. I wanted to create something very sonically different and structurally different than anything else that's being made. And the reason I'm even talking about that is because that is a big part of a lot of the good and bad reviews 
um, for the album comes from that mindset of me wanting to do things that aren't standard. And so to get into um, the good, because we're going to start on a positive note, right? <laughs> the good reviews. Um, I'm honestly so relieved to see the mass majority of Browning fans absolutely love this thing. Like, really. It's... Uh, with Geist, there was way more bad reviews and way more unhappy Browning fans, right? Now, we gained a bunch of new fans over the course of the Geist process, but this album, um, right off the bat, I could immediately tell the the Browning fans that have been here for a long time loved it. And, man, that is just such a good feeling, especially knowing that I was experimenting in so many different ways on this one and really trying to expand the Browning sound as a whole. And so we get, I'm getting a lot of comments that people are like, dude, I've been a fan of you for 11 years and this is the best thing you've done. One of the best, one of the best reviews I've seen, it was in a comment. I'm, whenever I say reviews, I'm, I mean, people that are commenting on stuff and I respond and, you know, we talk back and forth and I get people's opinions. This dude, he did a he did a post on the Brownings thing that said that he's been a fan since we used to play these this really tiny venue in Des Moines called Vaudeville Muse. And it's one of the coolest places. We used to play it all the time. I love that venue so much. I would actually love to play it today, like with the fan base and the production we have now. It'd be so cool. But he said that this album is the first album that captures the Browning's essence live. He said it's the most raw sound that he's heard from the Browning since seeing us live at Vaudeville Muse in 2011. And that was one of the most satisfying ones ever to read for a lot of reasons because it triggered this nostalgic memory of playing Vaudeville back in the day and just loving that place so much. But then also this old school Browning fan and those were the original days, man, you know? And so this old school Browning fan saying this record, you know, 10 years later is it reminded him of that, of that experience that he personally had of watching us live 10 years ago. That's awesome. That's one of the best feelings I've had because that's something I wanted to trigger with this album. I always felt the records were so clean and we've always had people uh, saying to me at live shows, man, you guys are so much heavier live than on a record. I got, I've gotten that so much over the past decade and that's, I really wanted to capture that on this record. That's why the guitars are a lot louder and that's why the vocals are louder. That's why there's certain EQ things that bring certain aspects to the forefront. I really wanted to capture that. And that one guy's comment, I should know his name. I should be giving him a shout out right now. But uh, that that really, that really like triggered something in me in a good way. And so I appreciate that so much. And not only him, but a lot of old school Browning fans are having that feeling right now that this is songs on this are the closest to the stuff I originally wrote with the Browning. I feel like songs like Prophecy that that song could have been on the on the first Browning EP before it was even a full band. That song could have been back then. The melodies in it, the structure, the riffs. 
that song's really cool. Um, and there's certain aspects like anti-sendency. Anti-sendency, 100%. Could have been on um, Burn This World with the riffs and the breakdowns and the heaviness. But it does have that new element with the singing and everything. And so I think that there's a lot of things that are triggering um, the nostalgic vibe and even the production itself. Um, I think old school Browning fans actually really, really like the production on this because they're saying it's the heaviest that they've heard the band. And in general, um, I've got to say, like, I'm just so happy that Browning fans specifically love this thing. And that's that's just so cool to me. Now, on that, on the same note, I've also had old school Browning fans say that there are certain aspects that they're missing, right? And this is a good and bad thing, a good and bad review in this right here because the sound is being pushed. And so a lot of people are saying that they love that every record has a new aspect to it. Every record has a new tone to it and has new elements. But with that, like, I can't just keep adding and adding and adding, right? Something has to give in some way, shape, or form. And one thing I did on this record was I've thought about, like, why do people typically like the Browning and why do people typically not like the Browning? And I know that Browning fans are very, very open-minded, right? Browning fans want to hear experimentation. They want to hear interesting stuff. But people that aren't Browning fans, they get really turned off by a lot of that experimentation, specifically with the synth sounds, right? So I wanted to have the synths still be super prominent for for normal Browning fans, but I wanted to dial it back in some way so that I can maybe appease or turn some people that have kind of been on the edge about the Browning, right? So with that, I did dial back... Um, some of the synth work, not necessarily, there's still synths going 100% of the time, but not necessarily those huge big synths that you hear in songs like Fearless or Anti-Sendency. Um, a lot of times it gets dialed back to being like an atmospheric background, but it's still synth work and it's still electronics. It's just um, more entwined and more, like I said, background atmosphere. And I think a lot of people uh, on that were on edge for the Browning are really liking it. Because even on the YouTube reviews, right, There's I've seen a lot of comments, and I'm reading every comment. <laughs> it's kind of driving me crazy how much I, I can't stop looking at this stuff. Um, and these people are like, you know, I never really listened to the Browning, but this album slaps. And I, I feel like finally I stopped. I finally manipulated it enough to make those people be like, I can listen to this. But with the gain of that, a couple Browning fans have said, not said that they didn't like it, but said that they wish that some of those aspects weren't dialed back. You know, this record has one big techno part uh, at the end of Fearless. And uh, shout out to my boy Andy. Uh, you know, he loves the hard style, and so does a lot of the Browning fans. But that is one aspect that had the kind of dial back to grow in certain ways, you know. And so some Browning fans said, I really wish there was more of the 
techno like there usually is. I really wish there was more of the big, huge synths. And so that's kind of something I'm going to have to figure out because I know that, that, you know, Andy, he loves the big techno parts, but he still really loves this record. And so it's like I still have Andy as a huge fan, and I don't just mean Andy. I mean a bunch of people. Um, and Andy still loves the music, but now I have also gained the ability to have someone else listen to it as well by dialing that back. So it's like, how do I balance that? That's a that's something that I'm going to struggle with, I think, forever. And I don't know if there is a balance, you know? Um, just with the Browning, there's so many genres being intertwined here. Some people are probably like, oh, man, I love Final Breath. It's basically a rock song. <laughs> well, there's no song on this record that sounds like Final Breath. So anyone that fell in love with that song and became a fan because of that song, they listen to this, they're not going to hear that thing that they liked, you know? Or, you know, there's not a there's not a ton of rap, and some people might only like the rap songs. You know, Carnage is a huge song uh, off of Geist. The biggest song off of Geist, biggest song the Browning has ever have, Carnage. And so how many people are, like, waiting to hear more rap, like on Carnage, but they're not going to? And so it is a, such a hard give and take. You want to give your fans everything that they love but you want to expand your sound to make it more listenable for more people and so yeah i don't know that's that's going to be something i struggle with but my my number one goal is is to appease browning fans but i do think i still did that even though some might be a little upset that you know some of the electronics was dialed back and so yeah, I, I kind of view that as a positive and a negative. And a lot of this is like that, you know. And one of the big things that I also see in that same regard is I'm seeing that I did a post where I asked everyone's three favorite songs off of the record. And I kept seeing a similar thing where people either loved the heavy songs they would say my favorite are end of existence destroyer and torment the heaviest songs on the record or death warp and then the other people would say oh man my favorites are fearless anti-sendency and no man can become a god so it's like people are seemingly obviously some people like a mixture but the majority of people either like the really heavy stuff the most or really like the really melodic stuff the most. And I do see that as a as a huge positive because I I think that as a record as a whole it has extreme dynamics. If you go between Death Warp and Fearless, like there's such a huge dynamic between those two. And I think that it really does give me the ability to reach people um, with very specific songs that might not like the rest, but at least they have enough songs on the record that they can really get behind. Like if someone really just loves the heavy, heavy Browning stuff, there's there's five tracks on this record that have no singing that are just freaking brutal, right? And if someone really likes the melodic stuff, there's like six tracks that just have the melodic stuff. And so we have a really good mixture 
It's a really positive thing, I think. I Because it's not like there's just one really heavy song, so it's the only one the person can listen to. And so I view that as really positive um, in people's reaction. But it does go to show, same thing with the kind of dialing back on synths. Um, you know, the, the mass majority of people are going to love it, but some people are going to like some aspects and don't like some aspects. And so I'm glad that this album turned out so dynamic. And that's a huge thing I wanted. And uh, that's what a lot of people are saying as well is um, this is the heaviest Browning record, but also the most melodic. And the melodics are so emotional. And one thing I've saw, I've seen multiple people talk about, and this is something that um, it happened to me before the record. And not before it came out, not only me, but also my wife. I've seen a bunch of comments of it started whenever I released the trailer for Fearless. People saying that it gave them chills. And there's something about that middle breakdown in Fearless. That middle breakdown in Fearless, for some reason, triggers something in the body and the mind that just makes it to where you get these chills going down you and like my wife whenever I very first showed her that middle breakdown section and fearless she she hit me in the arm because we're sitting in the car jamming and she she tapped me in the arm and showed me she had goosebumps all up and down her arms and like I had the same exact reaction when that section hit in too for the first time like whenever I listen to it, I put it in the car and I'm sitting here jamming. I got that same chilled reaction. I got the goosebumps. And a bunch of people were saying that um, whenever I released the trailer for Fearless. And that just has my mind going like, what is it about certain music that connects so well to the mind and to the body to create this subconscious reaction because what is it that that creates it and i really do especially with the fearless one the lyrics there are very very emotional um you know i'm talking about standing alone face to face with death until there's nothing left and then also one thing with this album that i really paid attention to more than ever while writing it was build-ups and then the release of tension the breakdown and that's a, a very big thing in score, in writing music, is building tension and then releasing tension. And you, you can do it through um, realizing chords. You do a chord progression, and the, the fourth chord that you do in the progression is just a little bit off. And then when you go back to one it resolves itself. And whenever you resolve, it's like this huge release, release of tension that you're like, oh my God, thank God, you know? And it's just, you get that subconsciously through a lot of different aspects. And I did it a lot with production because it's something Mick Gordon does a lot. Every single song that Mick Gordon does with like Doom is just this massive build and build and build and build. And then just, it hits. And I think that's what it was about Fearless. It's the, whenever that heavy part comes in, the background is just building and building. And then that, the lyrics also are just intensifying and then just has this huge relief of tension whenever it happens. 
And so people were also saying they were getting chills in the course of no man can become a God. And then also anti-sendency because I was getting comments. Anti-sendency gave me chills. And so one thing that I'm maybe realizing about the, about this album, giving people chills, it seems more so in the melodic songs. And maybe it's because there's just like this in my voice, there's, I always do melodies that are pretty sad sounding. So maybe that's already triggering some sort of subliminal feelings. And then whenever you take the sadness of the voice and the undertones and the harmonies, and then you unleash it into this just um, anger of the screams and the music, maybe it's just an overwhelming like, like flow. You know what I mean? Because it, it does seemingly be always be the emotional songs and the melodic songs and how they hit, you know? It's, just, it's something to ponder on and maybe something I need to talk to like a neuroscientist about, about why do people get chills? Because it, it's very interesting to me, but a, a huge compliment and a major, a major plus whenever people leave that as the reaction. I think that's awesome. And... Then as I was just talking about the singing, that's another big plus that I'm getting on this record. Like singing more in the Browning. I used to say I would never sing in the Browning. They're in the Burn This World era. It's like, heck no, I would never ever do it. I One, because I couldn't. And two, because like, no, all the other bands with synths always sing. So I'm going to be the heavy one. Well, you know, here I am, however many years later. Like singing is very powerful. Even very soft singing is very powerful. And so I this this album has the most singing that the Browning has ever used. But I'm also getting very positive feedback from that. There was a guy that left a full album review. His name was AMP Reacts on YouTube. And he said the singing was the highlight. He said he wishes there was more singing on the record. And then I have, you know, people like Choosy, you know, one of my friends that uh, I talked to in Discord and he's in all the Browning stuff. He says his favorite ones are the ones with the singing as well. And I, it's a really good feeling to know that I can create these dynamics. I can do these brutal, nasty vocals, but then also do this really emotional singing and people love both. And that's awesome. I haven't seen a single bad comment about the singing. <laughs> And that's huge, you know? That's awesome because I, I got crap for it on Geist um, because people were like, man, I wish you guys would not sell out and just do the heavy stuff. Well, now there's not a single bad comment about the singing. That's amazing to see. And maybe it's, I have to give a big shout out to even why I'm able to do the singing now. I give 100% the credit that I properly found my voice because of the dead set record that I did. I did a solo album that was like pop hip hop and it's a hundred percent singing. And I spent like a year or more working on that record, really mainly finding my voice. If you go listen to the dead set album, it's the songs are kind of all over the place, but it's because I was kind of finding my voice in that way. And so thanks to the dead set record, I was extremely confident going into this Browning album of 
I, I can definitely do some really cool stuff. Because also the Dead Set album, it's very emotional, very, you know, minor keys. And there's a lot of what I found with my voice is it works really well with a bunch of undertoned harmonies. And so I do these really close harmonies all the time with this soft voice. And it just creates this like ethereal atmosphere. And in the Browning stuff, that's in there. I'm, I like pretty much don't do a soft singing part unless there's like five harmonies attached to it. I just think it creates this huge atmosphere and and it's such a good feeling to have people reacting well. Not not one bad comment. Now I'm going to say that and one of you guys are going to go comment on <laughs> Fearless and say, I wish this idiot would stop singing. I'm waiting for it. <laughs> But no, I appreciate that so much. Uh, people people liking the dynamics, the super heavy, brutal vocals, and the singing. And I, there has been a few comments of people saying this is by far the best vocal performance. And the interesting thing about that, and I actually, it's one of the things that I really was trying to do with this record. I feel like people put too much, or at least I, myself in the past, put way too much into trying to get like the perfect vocal take. Because one of the things I wanted to do with this record was make it feel more like the Browning does live, a lot of these sections were one take. Just go. Just do it. And not care if I pronounced wrong or, like, not perfect. Not care if I didn't have as much grit that I would have liked to. I was just doing it. Like, single takes, a lot of them, a lot of the stuff on this record was the first take. And, um... For people to say this is the best one yet, uh, vocal-wise, is just really a good feeling because I was feeling so confident at the end of the touring cycle that was Geist. Um, like, at the end of the Ginger tour, I was like, my vocals are better now than they've ever been. I sounded better live than I ever sounded on any record. And I don't know why, but something about my voice finally just settled, and I've got it now. And this record, I wanted that to shine, dude. I just, I just freaking hit the, hit the takes and was like done. And then I would single take the layers as well. Cause there's a lot of layered vocals and, um, really happy with them. And my wife loves the vocals. She loves the, the really nasty, heavy vocals. And so you guys can thank her for me really getting low and doing some obnoxious stuff on this record. <laughs> she's, she's all about it. And, you know, I love that people are as well. So let's get to where we get to the negative side of people's reaction to this. And so the number one, there's, there's two main negative reactions to this record. But the number one that you can see if you go look on some YouTube videos and mainly reaction channels and then also some, of the, uh, some comments on Facebook, and that is the mix right the mix <laughs> and here we go again this is where everything falls on me because i could have just had someone else mix it but i didn't and so this is 100 percent my doing but like i said i love the mix when i listen to this i think it's perfect and let me say the amount of times i went back and forth on testing these mixes, the master, the guitar tone, the drum samples, the, the, you know, going back and doing another mix where the kick drum is 
0.3 dBs louder. Like, holy crap, I did this so much. At some point, you have to just put a nail in the coffin and be like, it's done, right? And with where I put it, where I ended, 100% happy. I do not regret doing this myself to any degree. Even though the only negative comments are about the mix, and if I would have just paid whatever, whoever, to make this sound like industry standard, those comments wouldn't be there. Or maybe they would. And that's kind of what I'm going to get to here. Maybe those comments would be there no matter what. Because I personally feel like, well, okay, the mix specifically, the biggest thing people are talking about is the drums. They say that they're buried, that the guitars are louder than the drums are. And that's something that personally I did on purpose. Mick Gordon, my biggest influence for this record, his guitars are so upfront in his mix. Now, with that being said, Mick Gordon stuff doesn't have vocals. I'm talking about the Doom soundtrack. It doesn't have vocals. So the guitars are forefront. Now, he has really pingy, snappy drums in his mix. For me, I use these bigger, more um, like whole drums. And so his drums probably stand out quite a bit more because he used more snappy drums. And then his guitars are very loud. Personally, I really liked the loud guitars because the Browning, the, the old records, there's times when you couldn't even hear the guitars. People thought it was just synths playing and the guitars were just doing opens. You couldn't hear anything. But I did that on purpose back then. I didn't want the guitars to cover up anything, right? So that was intentional as well with the old albums. With this one, I wanted people to, again, hear those guitars. Because whenever I got into this, I was like, what do people equate to a heavy metal album? When they think, oh, this is a heavy metal metal album, they think heavy guitars, heavy singing, heavy vocals. Those are the two most prominent things. So whenever I want a Browning album to sound like the heaviest Browning album, what did I want people to hear? I want them to hear the guitars. And again, the mass majority of fans and people listening absolutely love the, this thing, even the mix. I have some people that have left comments saying, um, this mix is insane. I would pay for a master class to see how you did this. But there are some comments that are saying the opposite that is absolute trash makes it unlistenable and um like my thought with the negative side is like fair if you think it sounds bad i'm not going to say that you're wrong because it's your opinion and i can't tell someone that their opinion is wrong right uh my opinion's different and so is the mass majority of people's but just because you want the drums to be louder does not mean that everyone else wants the drums to be louder, right? My personal opinion on Architect's mix doesn't matter. Just like that person's personal opinion, I'm going to take it into account because it's it's hard to just look past and be like, meh, because I'm trying to grow here. So, and that's why I'm I'm really interested to hear some proper criticisms and I really wish I could have someone talk to me about like this is why your drums are bad right but the problem is the people that are leaving those comments 
they're they're leaving him in, in a way that I just I'm not even gonna respond because they're just like, what the f are you doing? This is so trash. It's unlistenable. I can't believe you would even put this out. It's like that's not really you know helpful. That's just being mean. <laughs> and not not like my feelings are getting hurt about it to any degree or whatever. Now, and I say that, but you know, I'm sitting here thinking about it still. <laughs> it's hard to not think about it though, right? But you know, if you're someone that does like to critique people in a in a very critical way, please be more thoughtful in how you do it. And I don't mean thoughtful like sensitive. But thoughtful, like, actually be thought-invoking with your criticism. Don't just go to straight bashing someone because that makes the person that you're criticizing not listen. And I guess this can be applied to more than just music. But, like, be thoughtful in how you're saying it and um, what your opinion really is and why. Because just telling me the mix is trash and the drums sound like crap doesn't help me if you're trying to help but you're probably not you're just probably trying to you know grandstand in your elitism of what a proper mix is and again like as an artist i'm not concerned about what the proper mix is you know i'm i was concerned about writing what i wanted to and real quick i with this thought, the same thing happened with Lorna Shore recently. Lorna Shore put out their new record with a new vocalist, and hands down, the biggest and best they've ever done as far as everyone's reaction. People love it on the masses. They're, they're blowing up right now. They're doing huge stuff. But they got a lot of hate for their mix. And... Um, like an over amount of hate to where that's what I saw about it initially. I didn't even know that they had new stuff out, but I saw people talking about the bad mix on the Lorna Shore stuff. To be fair, it made me listen to it. Be like, really? Like, how bad is it? And I listened to it. And I was like, what's wrong? Like, it's just a mix. It's just metal. Like the, a lot of the music we listen to is all nostalgic. It's all old. Like, I don't listen to, you know, $3 Bill by Limp Biscuit because the mix is sick. I listen because it's really good songs. And so Josh Schroeder, he's the man that mixed the new Lorna Shore record. He's a dude that I have a ton of respect for. He tracked and recorded Burn This World. We went up to his studio and recorded with him up there. I have massive respect for him because he's such a creative and smart guy. And so as the first guest on this podcast, I'm doing the guests in a little bit of a different way. I'm just hitting on my friends or people in bands and I'm just having them send me back texts of what their response is to a couple questions. So I asked Josh three questions. And so right here, I'm going to punch in those questions and his responses. I said, when do you feel that there started to become this mix elitist listeners that berate everything that they don't like or have you always experienced this type of hater he said these people don't bother me anyone who 
experiences the world through such a narrow lens as to talk crap online about art, i.e. mixed choices, is a sad individual. These malcontents have always existed. The internet just affords them the company that misery loves to keep. And he's very poetic. <laughs> I like that. Josh is a really awesome dude, but he really has a way with words, doesn't he? And But he's right. Can't let these people bother you. They're just so negative and like someone that's going to just be so narrow minded. It's like, mm, like just move past it. And that's that's hard for me to do at times. It is what I aspire to do. But there's still that thing when you're laying in bed and you're thinking about that comment, you know, <laughs> that one dude on Facebook that, you know, you get 200 comments of people like this is the coolest thing ever. And the one guy that says this is trash. Why would you guys even put this out? This mix sounds horrible. Right. <laughs> you can't not think about it, but it's I guess you can think about it, but you can you just need to brush it off. That's what Josh is saying. hundred um, percent. Then the second question I ask him, where do you rate the mix in terms of importance? Right. And he said uh, songwriting is key. The recording should serve the music, not the other way around. I'm no stranger to using handheld mics for bands like Varials or Inhart's Roik or Legend because that's the vibe. Yes, it's less clear, but that's not always the goal. Clarity is an overused term in both music and culinary arts. It's the melding of flavors that makes a great dish. And see, that's exactly how I feel about this. So he says that like within Hearts Wake or Legend or Varials, he would use a mic that is maybe not the industry standard, right? And because you're supposed to use the SM7B because it's the most clear mic or this mic because it gives you the most clarity in vocals. Well, what if that's not necessarily the sound that that artist wants or that serves the, the song itself, right? And so I 100% agree because that's, that's kind of what I did on this. I didn't base my mix off of any industry standard. I just did what I wanted to do. I wanted to make it sound raw and heavy and more like the live performance. And I feel like I really did that. And so it's uh, you got to do what's right for the music. And so I 100% agree with Josh on that. Do what's right for the music. The recording should serve the music not the other way around the music needs to be um basically the forefront and the recording should just be just that a recording of it <laughs> not necessarily using the recording to make good music you're using the recording to show good music and then the next question i just said anything else you want to say on this matter i just wanted them to just say whatever he wanted so he says, our obsession with acceptance and validation drives us to make decisions that are self-sabotaging in both music and in our potential or personal lives. As someone who would describe themselves as an antisocial, I think it's been easier for me to forge an identity as a producer and engineer because I don't care what people want to hear. I only care what I want to hear. And as it relates to the artists who are directly hiring me to realize their vision. Oftentimes, I will go against my instincts if I feel the artist I work with 
believe in something so strongly enough. Because I don't mind being wrong, I learn a lot. I listen to the people I work with more than I listen to their music. Once you understand who they are more clearly, you can help them get where they want to go and sound how they want to sound. One of the rules I like to live by is that a good producer knows when to step in and help, and a great producer knows when not to. And yeah, I, I love that, all of that. Uh, a good producer is, like, a, a, any average producer you work with is going to come in and say, well, maybe you should do this. Maybe you should do this. Maybe you should do this. This would sound better. And I think what Josh is saying is, like, there's times when he would do that. But a really great producer and someone that's there to serve the artist is going to like see what the artist is going for and josh is saying here he really likes to you know learn that artist's taste learn what that artist as a person is going for and then he maybe you know holds holds his opinion back so that to not get in the way of what that artist is trying to do and you know i think that's awesome and i think that that's that's honestly one of the reasons I didn't go with a producer for this record because I am the artist and the producer on on this Browning record and I feel like the the times that I've worked with other producers that I have um you know been pushed to the side no one cares about it as much as me and certain mix things I I could bring up in the perspective no you got to do this kick because you you know, I see stars used it or whatever it is, you know? And, you know, especially back when I was younger, I was just like, okay. I mean, even back whenever I tracked burn this world with Josh, um, like I wanted Josh to do the whole thing, the whole record. I wanted him to mix. I wanted him to do everything, but we had to go mix it with Chango because Chango did Memphis Mayfire or whoever it was at the time. I don't even know. Uh, I see stars. I think it was. Yeah. And so it's like, I was by the label I was with at the time forced into even working with a producer. I didn't even want to. And so, and I think burn this world could have been an even better record. And so, um, really as an artist, you know, I liked the personal connection that I had with Josh whenever we were recording. It was, it was a fun environment and it was really cool. And so, as a producer, I respect him a ton, and I know he does a lot of really cool things for a lot of really cool bands. I, he even told me one time there was a band that didn't want any, uh, like, VST digital plugins. Um, they wanted everything to be completely natural. So all the reverb on the record was all real reverb. It was all room microphones out there to get the real natural reverb rather than using a digital plugin for it. And I think that I think that kind of stuff's amazing. A producer that actually serves the music rather than trying to forge the music into what they want. And but some artists do like a producer that helps forge their music. Some artists have a producer write their music. That's just how it is. But for me, I wanted to produce this completely myself because I did feel like working with producers um, sometimes takes away from the the care and the vision that I have a lot of times as an artist. And so, again, big shout out to Josh. He's a really good dude. 
um, of the producers that I personally know, he's on the top of the list of people I respect. A hundred percent. He's awesome. And so thanks for answering those questions, Josh. And so to, to finish talking about the bad mix criticism, I do have to say that there is, there is light at the end of this tunnel <laughs> for the mix because I, I can't imagine I will ever go back to someone else mixing. I might have someone help me and help me learn more because this is the thing is I'm wanting to progress as a, not only a songwriter, but as a musician as a whole. And part of that, in my opinion, is also being able to produce because in the modern world, it's not just about music. You're also needing to, you can do, be very creative in the mix aspect as well. That's part of the creativity too, the overall tone that you're making, right? And so it's kind of like how Led Zeppelin, I watched a documentary about Led Zeppelin and their big album, uh, you know, with Cashmere on it, the that song, the drums on that record, they literally had the drums sitting in the middle of a huge entryway to like this mansion and they had one drum mic that was sitting halfway up a staircase and that was the drums. That's it. But the drummer said he loved it because it felt so raw. And that's what he wanted. And guess what? It's huge. And so with production, you can create unique and uh, creative tones for your music as well. It's important. So I'm going to keep doing it. But the light at the end of the tunnel um, with a lot, some of the bad um, reviews of the mix, there, a lot of them said man, this mix is really bad and it's unfortunate because the songs are really good. <laughs> so I like seeing that because they're like, man, like I can still listen to this because the songs are really good, but the mix could just be so much better. Now that right there, that's to me is a huge plus because to me as an artist, the songs were the really important aspect. So that's a big time success to me. And I appreciate those comments. Them saying, I don't really like this aspect, but you wrote some good songs. Like, that's awesome. And so um, this one's a little bit of a good and bad one as well. And that is that the song structures themselves. I know I've already said it a few times in this podcast about the song structures. I wanted to do some unique structures. And that's one thing that people are commenting about. And I actually got called progressive for the first time. <laughs> Imagine the Browning synth core, electronic core, but progressive. That's awesome because the Browning has always been very predictable. But I, I wrote it predictable in, okay, I can't say really predictable, not predictable like all these bands writing rock songs nowadays predictable in the sense of like I I built things in a way that you knew or was expecting what was going to be coming in because I wanted to write it away where at the live show there was no question the the crowd was going to do something and they knew they were going to so everything was like telegraphed because um, the music itself you knew what was going to come because it was built in a certain way now with this record 
I wanted to be surprising. I wanted to be chaotic. I wanted to catch people off guard. And one of the coolest things, there's a couple people that have done full album reviews, like on YouTube, and I've watched all of them. I'll watch their 50-minute videos of them <laughs> reacting to the record. And one thing that a couple of them kept doing, they were like listening to songs like Torment or even like Anti-Sendency, and they'll be like, what's coming? Like, what are they about to be going into? The Because a buildup will be going. Like, where, where's this going? Where's this going? And then it hits, and they're like, whoa, that was out of nowhere. And that's awesome. Because I'm catching people off guard. I'm doing unique things that they're not expecting. And I feel like metal is the genre that that should happen in. All other genres should be predictable. Look at EDM. EDM is the most predictable thing in the world, right? I think metal, you should make people uncomfortable, keep them on the edge of their seat. And one of the guys I was watching, he did a full album review. He literally was sitting on the edge of his seat waiting to see what was going to be coming in. And his mind was just blown at times by not expecting what what we did with this record. And so I I really love that aspect, the fact that it's throwing people off catching people off guard because in especially in a world where everyone's doing the same crap right and so i see that as a massive plus and there's a lot of people that are saying that but there has been a few bad comments as well as about that um i was watching these one guy's review and they did a full album review and they said they really liked the record but the the big negative that the guy had to say was that he actually got tired of all, like, the tempo changes. He said, like, because in End of Existence, you get a bunch of tempo changes, and he was like, oh, that was cool. And then the second song also does tempo changes. And then the fourth song also does tempo changes, you know? And so he was saying at some point he was like, I wish that it would just just be the same, you know? <laughs> and I can understand that. There's bonuses to being very, very consistent, like, song got is taught it's a very consistent song just straight through um but again i was trying to be experimental here with trying to do a few different things and so with that being said i don't know how i balance that in the future think you know because i'm trying to take these criticisms and i'm thinking about the next record because after hearing that one criticism the guy saying uh you know, it the tempo drops happen too much. The next record, I'm I'm probably gonna be sitting there thinking, oh, I have three songs that have you know a lot of tempo drops. Maybe I should, you know, not do that on this one. That's definitely gonna be in my head. But then also, I'm gonna be sitting here thinking about watching these dudes react, and when the tempo drops, they're like, whoa, oh my god, you know. So it's like, how do I balance that? It's such a hard thing to think about. But again. Maybe I shouldn't necessarily be thinking of it in this way. Maybe I should just be, I should just do my freaking thing, you know? Like, yeah, it's important to appease everyone. Not everyone. I take that back. It's it's important to appease as many people as possible. <laughs> but um, I should just do my thing. And if I do a bunch of tempo drops, that's what I felt like doing. And I like them. I think they're cool, personally. I mean, and... And uh, Prophecy, going into that that big middle breakdown that really comes out of nowhere, 
that was a tempo up increase. <laughs> and that's one of the coolest ones to me because most of the time whenever a breakdown comes, you do expect a tempo drop. But I went up in tempo there. And whenever that one hits in, people were like, whoa, really catches them off guard. And so, I don't know. I'm just, that one's hard for me about these structures. I, I don't want to get down to writing rock structures. I don't want to be writing predictable structures. But I do want to write stuff that really flows. But I feel like as a whole, this album does kind of have a, a flow to it that is consistent within itself. Not necessarily with what other people are doing, but within itself, this this album has a tone. And so, and with that tone, I mean a pace, you know, and that, and the tempo drops and the tempo changes and the, the random structures, I think that, I think it really fits and it really works and it's giving people a listening experience that they don't get with anything else, you know, this is, then something like this is going to bite me in the butt whenever it comes to, you know, maybe wanting to get on certain, you know, quote unquote airplay. You know, if everything's real weird, a lot of these, you know, big outlets like XM Radio and stuff want industry standard crap. But I've I've never I was kind of concerned with that on Geist. I was like, how can I write something that is going to be able to get this airplay? And I wrote Final Breath and Final Breath was like the first time of really trying to do something that could get that quote unquote airplay. And, but the uh, people really liked the song and people sang along to it live, but it clearly got overtaken by other songs that were heavier and more progressive, like Carnage. Like Carnage is the epitome of like doing whatever. That song doesn't have a structure and it's all over the place and people loved it. And Carnage was a huge influence to me on this record for that aspect because, um, People got caught off guard by Carnage so much that I was like, that's what people love. People love that. And then people also loved Skybreaker because of the melodics. And so those two songs being the most popular off the last album was a huge tell to me. People didn't want rock-structured browning. People wanted chaotic all over the place. And people wanted extremely melodic and synth-based. And so here we are. I think I did perfect on this album, um, song-wise, giving giving fans what they wanted. And with that too, I one of the one of the other major things that I see people talking about almost immediately, especially with "End of Existence" being the first song I put out, is people immediately recognized the Doom influence. And this is another one of those good and bad reviews because there's a lot of people who are like, yo, this should be in the next Doom game. Like th people said, this is like the Doom soundtrack, but with vocals. So it's better. And then to me, I, I mainly used Mick Gordon and the Doom soundtrack as an influence, mainly in the electronic side of it, because this is a very cinematic concept for this record. And with that, I had to create like a, an atmosphere that was over the course of the whole record. So there's a lot of background atmospheric electronic sounds that give the whole album a specific tone. And so 
if you listen to like Torment, that very first breakdown when it finally hits in, the electronic in the background, it sounds like a digital banshee coming at you and screeching and swirling around your head. I would never have done a sound like that before on any other Browning record had I not been mainly influenced by Doom for stuff like that. It just, it creates this tone, this chaotic tone that you can't do with just like a normal synth, right? And then there's a lot of these background industrial, like, you know, stuff like that. I've done stuff like that in the Browning before, but never as like a major component in a lot of sections. And so I took the Doom soundtrack as just an influence to more so create atmosphere and then also in Mick Gordon's approach to production. And so it's really cool that I was actually able to pull off the sound enough to have a lot of people recognize it as a good thing. Now, the bad side of that is I do have some fans, uh, mainly close fans. I haven't seen anyone say this online. It's mainly in my discord with, uh, you know, my friends and the people that watched me write the album live. The, they said stuff like, you know, you know, this is really cool for this record, but you know, you know, let's, let's not have Johnny have doom for the next one <laughs> because part of that doom thing, like I said, it's, it's changing the, the idea of the electronics to a degree that a lot of times it can be more background. And so, um, it's just one of those things is to experiment with. I think I have, it's another one of those aspects that like I've talked about on this podcast of that I need to figure out the balance on, you know, I'm adding in elements. I'm adding in things that I can kind of pick and choose from, um, for future songs. And so I need to, I need to find the balance that gives the doom vibe, but doesn't take away from any Browning aspect, you know, but I do think Browning is, the only band that would capable to pull off the doom sound, you know, what other band can do it? All other electronic bands aren't this heavy and all bands that are heavy enough to be considered for doom don't do electronics. And so I think it's a, the perfect tone because it just gives it this darkness and this chaotic atmosphere. I love it. And so that's a plus and a negative, not so much a negative in my eyes, uh, because I really like, um, just putting that trick in my back pocket, being able to make sounds like that, being able to write songs like that is, is something I like to have access to because certain songs like no man can become a God. That song is a really good combo of Browning mixed with doom aspects because the chorus section of that song is very melodic, very, very browning, really simple synth melody and really melodic. But then whenever you go to the verse section in the songs and the heavy section in the song, it's all doom style electronics. And, you know, you get these sounds in the background with breakdowns, but then the chorus is really melodic and all that. So it's like I can... I can have it in some spots, take it away in some spots, but just to, um, moving on to like the next record, I think it's a tone that I'm going to keep, 
I think the ma- the majority of Browning fans really like it. But I don't want to be pigeonholed into being the band that sounds like Doom. You know, I just want to be the Browning in, in so many different ways. And so overall, like, really, I'm I'm so insanely happy with the reaction to this album. And I I wrote this album live on Twitch just like I did Geist. And I don't think I'll ever be able to write an album without writing in front of my f- friends and fans again. Shout out to all the people on my Twitch channel and in my Discord and Patreon that were there through the whole process. Because one thing about these reactions and people's reviews of the record... Most of the time you only see people's reactions after you write a record. Well, the way I've done the past two, I get it in the moment. Like, as I write a part, I can look over to the Twitch chat and everyone's like, yo, that was sick. And so I can just straight, boom, I'm super confident. Like, the Twitch chat and everyone in there made me so confident that this was going to be the best thing the Browning has ever done. Because... I had their reactions before the album came out. And so I don't think I can ever write like that again. I think it's a part of me. I think having that instant gratification of confidence that I'm doing good is something that I, I'm going to have to have. <laughs> and, you know, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I I think it's a good thing personally. I'm sure some people would be like, no, 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 no. But I love it in so many ways because I've made so many friends and connected with the fans on a level that I feel like I really know what a real Browning fan wants. And Browning fans, overall, this is a sick album. And I love that. I think it's sick. And the mass majority of Browning fans think it's sick. And it's probably a big... Uh, thank you to Browning fans being there with me while I was writing it as to why it's so good. And so, yeah, there's the good, the bad, the ugly. It's everything. I, really, the biggest negative was the mix. And so if, if that's the downfall for a couple people, that's fine. I'm not going to make everyone happy. It's like going to a restaurant and one person doesn't like the seasoning they put on the mashed potatoes and so then they just go and leave a one-star review man they overseasoned my potatoes so don't ever go to this place it's horrible and it's a five-star review restaurant you know (laughs) it's same exact concept and so i'm i just i can't be happier the numbers are doing really well the we're breaking records for the browning the label is super happy with everything the amount of pre-orders the amount of vinyl sales the numbers and so like things are so extremely positive right now i'm just a very happy man and i can't wait to get to writing the next album i already have a ton everyone that was on twitch knows i wrote a lot of songs and so i already have probably half of an album already finished but you know then again there's songs that didn't make this one maybe they don't make the next one too for certain reasons <laughs> but i i really can't wait to get going on to it and so again thank you guys for all the support on the browning and everything that i do and we will see you on the next podcast peace out